there. My name is Andrew Klein. I'm a conference MC and speaker and a frequent podcast listener. Podcasts like the one that you're listening to now. Now, many of you may have happened upon this particular podcast and listen in for the great stories and the wonderful learnings. And occasionally you hear reference to fruit. Usually it's fruit like apples, mangoes, limes, and bananas. What you may not know is the full extent of Lynn Skinella's work. Lynn actually developed the Fruit Personality Profile. Yes, you heard me correctly, the Fruit Personality Profile, which she created back in 2004 and uses it as a foundation to help people connect and work more effectively together. Working with people you just don't get has many different forms. It's available as a keynote presentation. I've seen it. It's damn good. And also an awesome way to kick off a conference because it gets everyone talking and chatting and laughing and connected from the outset. She also runs live in-house workshops for your team, either in person or virtually, or a mix of both. Or if you want to run the program yourself, you can step forward and be the grand pineapple for the day and run Lynn's video training programs yourself for your team. Lynn is the author of two books, one of which is called Bite Me and Other Do's and Don'ts of Dealing with Our Differences, and her more recent book called Pick Me, Loving and Living with People You Just Don't Get. I've read it. It's great. She is the host of two podcasts, this one, and one that focuses on the fruit personalities at home called Fruitful Pears. Lynn's work is underpinned by a very simple philosophy. By understanding and respecting more about ourselves and each other, we can connect more effectively for less stress and better results. If you'd like a simple, blameless language for your teams to communicate more effectively with each other, with clients and with suppliers, why not have a chat with Lynn? You can find out more about Lynn on lynnskinella.com.au or you can contact her at Lynn, that's L-Y-N-N-E, at lynnskinella.com.au. Or if you want to find out more from me, Andrew Klein, you can contact me and I'll tell you a lot of wonderful things about Lynn. Why? Because she's giving me a tray full of mangoes to say this. Hello, everybody. I'm Lynn Scanella, and welcome to the season finale. Doesn't that sound grand? Of season one of Fruitful Conversations. It's time for me to take a break and get some inspiration for inspiring you in season two. In this episode, I'm going to share some of my biggest and hardest life lessons. But first, for those of you who have listened before, you'll know that this podcast has been about chatting to a bunch of wonderful and diverse people who share their stories to teach and inspire us to be better versions of ourselves. It's been such a privilege to interview 30 people this season, all of whom have something to teach us. Now, I've learned so much from all of them, but the ones that you liked the most in their first 30 days are right here. I'm not counting Pip Harrison because it hasn't been 30 days for her yet. But number one is Nadine Ingram, my very first podcast, and the lovely Nadine was generous enough to kick it off with me and take a chance with someone who'd never done this before. Apart from the fact that she's a goddess when it comes to pastry and the owner of Flower and Stone Artisan Bakery in Sydney, she is truly one of the planet's decent, solid humans. She leads like she bakes, from the heart and with care. She also writes like she bakes. It's an emotional experience to read her prose as you're scoffing down her lemon dream cake. So she's worth a listen. And if you're a baker, make sure you buy her cookbook because it's a delight. Number two 
is episode 20 with Penny Spencer, Managing Director of the Spencer Travel Group of Companies. Now, I talked to Penny back in February of this year, and you can imagine, as the owner of travel agencies, she has had a devastating experience. I know now that being who she is, she'll find a way through. And I wish with all my heart for her and her team to move into 2022 with renewed hope and bookings. You will love her attitude and her learnings. And number three, which was only out six weeks ago, is my mum, Jean Beach. Now, first of all, I thought that perhaps most of you who listened were friends and relatives, but I just don't have that many. So thank you. Thank you to the listeners for embracing her story of an Anglo-Indian girl abandoned as a five-year-old who has made her way through life with the best attitude any daughter would want to emulate. Before we started, I had to give myself a stern talking to, though, uh, not to get weepy myself. She cries a lot, so be warned that episode is not for everyone. You know, as I talk to each of these people, like you, I'm sure, you kind of nudged to think a bit about your own life. And of course, during the last 18 months, we've been given a gift of more time to reflect, and for many, a slow way of living. And so on reflection, I thought it could be useful to finish up the season by sharing some of my biggest life lessons. And hardly surprisingly, as I thought this through, I'm choosing to share one of my biggest experiences, one that has shaped who I am in the second half of my life to date. It was a failure of biblical proportions, and I have to tell you, it surprised me that when I started writing all of this down, how uncomfortable and how raw it still felt, it brought up feelings of of shame, of embarrassment, and of guilt. And this happened more than 20 years ago, but the repercussions went on for years, and I guess it's these mega lessons that teach us the most, hard as they are. So you ready? I was 29 as I started my business, Scanella Incentives. I was also pregnant with my second child. Life was pretty damn perfect, actually. I had a loving marriage, two beautiful baby boys, the freedom, excitement, and stimulation of running my own business. And for nearly 10 years, life was pretty much like that. But anyone who knows anything about anything will tell you that this cannot last that lovely old Hebrew saying that gets me through the bad times, this too shall pass, is also true of the good times. Because life is peaks and troughs. It can't stay good forever. Otherwise, we'd have nothing to compare it to, right? And the tough times, I hate to say it, they do enrich our lives. Scanella Incentives was a performance improvement company. So we designed incentive campaigns of all sorts for high achievers. So typically, Salespeople would meet targets and be rewarded with experiences or merchandise of all sorts, pretty fabulous trips away. The trips were glamorous, designed to deliver an experience that you could never buy off the shelf. So to give you an idea, one of our clients, a spirits distribution company, rewarded their clients with a trip to Europe one year. They went to France for Moët et Chandon, England for gin, Ireland for Baileys and Scotland for whiskey. Now, our clients stayed in private castles, partied on vintage yachts, dined under the stars with surprise celebrity guests. They were led through ancient rainforests for secret dinners in cane fields before they were spectacularly set alight around them. CEOs arrived by being bungeed out of helicopters, waiters could emerge from the water to serve drinks, and dinners were set up on floating platforms in rice paddies. It was fun. 
Now, the research to find and create these wonderful events and suppliers meant that I travelled with the client to whichever destination we had chosen to do a recce and then set up the trip. I had a beautiful bunch of people working with me, including my sister and some friends. We were a cadre of women and at one stage one man who had a lot of fun. There was laughter and dinners and lunches and office birthdays and sick kids who came to work, travel for everybody, fancy events. When we needed to tie ribbons on hundreds of gifts that would welcome someone to their room on Hayman Island, we'd crack a few bottles of red and tie ribbons all night. We won industry awards. What could possibly go wrong? In this type of business, now as then, there are very low profit margins. The programs are expensive to run because you're using high-end items like first and business class and five-star hotels. They're also highly labour-intensive, putting a limit on how many programs you can run before you run out of people power. The wow factor takes time. Tying those tiny bows can take hours. And say a group went away for seven days, well, there was a beautiful pillow gift every night. And this may sound fantastical to some of you, but this was way back in the 90s when there was plenty of money around and the incentive industry was thriving. Times were good, so there was plenty of turnover. As a naive business owner, I thought that was pretty cool, made me feel important. First warning bell, turnover means nothing. It's what's left after expenses that counts. Second warning bell, one client was taking up a lot of our time. It was a large organisation and they loved our work. The more they liked us, the more events and programs they gave us to run. The more we took, the less time we had for other clients. The name of this company gave us prestige as well. I knew we had way too many eggs in one basket, but apparently I chose not to focus on that thought. Third warning bell, I hated the figures. They bored me. I wasn't driven by money and I'm still not. I don't have a killer instinct and I don't even love the thrill of business. What I loved was the people side of the business, developing and being part of a team, helping clients achieve their goals and seeing their delighted faces when we delivered an exceptional experience. And there was always so much money in the bank anyway, so why worry? These three things combined to create the perfect storm. My contact with our biggest client moved on. His replacement had their own incentive company and overnight we were out. We were officially up that creek and there wasn't a paddle in sight. But it was okay, I thought. Despite being left with only a handful of small clients, I had a bunch of money stashed away in the bank. Oh, that's right. I didn't because I didn't keep a close eye on the money. There had been a hiccup with one of the trips. Well, actually, to say hiccup is being pretty casual about it. It's easy to blame others, but the bottom line was that I wasn't watching carefully enough and money I'd assume was in the bank wasn't. It was a large chunk and I couldn't recover. I know there will be those of you listening who simply can't understand this type of behaviour or this way of thinking. Well, as I've learned in the second half of my career, we all have strengths and challenges, and I just exposed one of my biggest flaws. I'll spare you the pain of all the detail, but I tried to hold the business together with just me. I refused to admit defeat. The reality was I thought I was holding it together, but behind the scenes, my marriage was also crumbling and I wasn't making the best decisions. By the way, that's not uncommon, you know. 
plenty of people lose both at the same time. Now, I'm not an expert here, but I think it's a chicken and eggs thing or chicken and egg thing. Did the marriage start to fail because of the stress of the business or did the business start to fail because you're falling apart in your personal life? Interesting. Fast forward. I held on for a couple of years. I'm not sure how many because around this time my life gets really fuzzy for many years. I lost my business, my marriage, and my house. So you could say life had been better. It took me the best part of 12 years to recover, and there were so many lessons learned. It was really hard to narrow them down, but here's four that I hope are useful for you. Lesson number one, know when to fold them. If you're losing a business, you or someone around you needs to give you a reality check uppercut and tell you to shut the doors. The problem is that in small business, we learn to be fighters. We read books and listen to podcasts about never giving up. We learn to innovate, to be resilient, to pivot. Failure is not an option. So closing the doors goes against everything that we're taught. Go have a listen to Jacqueline Nagel in episode 27. She bailed as soon as she knew things weren't working. I held on to my house too long. I held on to the crumbs of a business too long. And in doing so, I gave myself a world of pain as I racked up debt trying to save it, to say nothing of the effects on my mental and physical health for years to come. And my friends, once you're on that hamster wheel of debt, it's really hard to claw your way back. Lesson two is closely linked to lesson one, and that is surround yourself with good mentors. Mentoring for women by women was really hard in those days, and I have always been wrongly self-sufficient. In hindsight, I would have surrounded myself with mentors, both male and female, who could guide me. If I was running a business like that, again, because this business is only me, I would have joined a CEO group small groups of leaders who meet regularly to discuss common issues and often share really private stuff. These groups not only make you accountable to others, but you have the benefit of their respected counsel. They would have told me to suck it up and close it up. In fact, because you report to each other on your financials, it would never have got to the stage that it did. As it was, I didn't even have the knowledge that voluntary administration was an option. I just thought, like a good Protestant girl, I had to make sure all my suppliers were paid up and take the consequences. By the way, the know when to fold them thing, it doesn't just apply to business. What about a personal relationship that's not working? Staying too long? Holding on to a team member when it's not working out? Or sticking with a job that isn't working for either of you? Know when to fold them. Now, lesson number three use your whole brain. Oh my God, this is the best. This was life-changing for me. At the time, I had no idea of neuroscience or studies on human behavior or personality types. So this lesson has only come to me years later, but it is gold. Most of you will have done personality testing at one stage or another. So even if you're not familiar with my apples, mangoes, limes, and bananas, you'll, you'll get this. You see, I have high emotional intelligence. Clearly, that's why I do what I do. I'm a good communicator. I'm a good connector, blah, blah, blah. In my fruit language, I'm a mango with a banana rising. So I'm people oriented. People, engagement, motivation, exciting ideas, customer service. That's my aisle. 
Turns out that I was just a bit narrow. Think about what happens when your focus is only about people and your decisions are all made with gut instinct and little logic. My reluctance to focus on risk management and balance sheets, things I didn't like, nor did they come naturally, contributed to the demise of a profitable company, small as it was, that had been going for nearly 10 years. I feel so strongly about this now. Funny about that. Unless we, as individuals and as businesses, think with our whole brain, we're missing out on broader success. So let me take the opposite of my behavioural profile, someone who is an apple line. So this person is excellent at focusing on tasks. They will keep a close eye on dollars, results, income and expenditure. But where this person may struggle is with the human side of the business, team engagement, motivation and nurturing of team members, building culture, customer care. And if a business is strongly skewed one way or the other, then it's the same effect. In fact, if a business is only listening to their their top two fruit, then they're not thinking with their whole brain. And that means you have no chance of growth, no chance of innovation, because you're constantly doing things the same way. There's no disagreement. As an individual, it's critical not only to know who you are and work with your strengths, but understand that you have the capability to work in all four quadrants of your brain. It just takes a lot more energy to work in an area that doesn't come naturally. So do you think I keep a closer eye on the books now? (laughs) It is still not my happy place, people, but I've learned to do it. You don't have to be an expert in those areas that play against strength, but you must know how to access them when you need, because we have the power to choose. We have the power to do this. And learning how to work in those areas has given me so much more confidence because as a young person, I believed what I was told. I'm good at these bits, not those bits. I'm the people person. I'm the show off. Don't dare choose economics or commerce for your electives because you know you're not good at it. You know what? Now I know I can do anything that I put my mind to. It may not come easily and I may not be best in class, but I can do it. Using your whole brain is challenging, but rewarding and enriching. Understand and lead with your strengths, but embrace the other bits too, because they will become your friends. And lesson number four, being out of your comfort zone is a good thing. Now, I wanted to stop at three, because three of anything is the number that people remember best. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, red, white and blue, gold, silver, bronze but I can't help myself because this is a good one. And this story demonstrates how jumping out of the comfort zone can lead to very good things. Well, I didn't exactly jump on this one. I admit I was pushed. So let's rewind a little. I've lost my business, my house, et cetera. I've gone back to the conference and incentive industry, which I knew, and I was taking on anything I could get in special projects to feed my children and keep a roof over our heads. I figured I could tread water, stay there and decide what to do next because the truth was at that time I was pretty battered and bruised. For me, the thought of working for someone else wasn't anathema. I wanted the flexibility of my own business because of the boys, but I didn't know what to do. So I'd hide in tourism for a while, doing consultancy in my comfort zone and licking my wounds. Then on September 11, 2001, two planes hit the World Trade Centre and the world changed. 
the same week, Ansot Australia, the main rival to Qantas and an airline 65 years old, collapsed. Tourism went down the toilet and with it, any consultant like me. Overnight, I had no work and all I knew was tourism and incentives. I was a single mother with two children and not in great shape. So my newish boyfriend, okay, give me a break, people, a girl's got to have some fun, asked me if I could train, as in corporate trainer. And I went, yeah, okay, sure. So I put together a workshop on incentives and conferences in my area of expertise. I took it around Australia. I made no money on it. But by the time I got back, I knew he was something I could get good at and would allow me the flexibility I was after. I had no experience. In fact, I didn't even know a training industry existed. My incentive world had been so small. So I signed up to get my trainer's certificate. And then it was like I emerged like a woman deposited in an empty cane field looking around going, um, you know, anyone out there? What now? So I had to learn how to be a trainer. I called up a well-respected training college and asked if they had any jobs going. And she said, no, the only jobs they had at the moment were for sales trainers. What did I train in? Sales, I said. Those poor bastards who got me in the early days. I was given a hefty manual to run a three-day program and off I went, working 24-7 for months and, and years actually to learn the ropes and the content and paddling very, very fast. The more I did, the more I realised it was the area of human behaviour that really fascinated me. Anyway, the point of this is, without jumping out of my comfort zone, I would never have discovered that A, I'm pretty good at this, B, I love it, and C, it led me to being a conference speaker, an author, an MC facilitator, things I would never have imagined I'd be doing in a month of Sundays because I hated public speaking, terrified of it, vomity terrified of it. So there you go. If you've lost a job through COVID or any other way, or if you've just lost a treasured relationship, I want you to know that things get better. And often, it doesn't feel like it, but often this is really an opportunity and possibly one of the best things that could ever happen to you. Out of comfort zone is good. Scary, but good. It's funny, going over all these things to write this down has been quite sobering. Life is full of mountains and gullies, of ups and downs, good and bad. For me, now happens to be a good time, which is why I can be strong enough to speak up for the first time about things that happened more than 20 years ago. Inevitably, more challenging times will roll around again. I just have to remember probably one of the best lessons of all, to know that this too shall pass. It's a privilege I don't take lightly to have been able to bring you stories every two weeks for the last year or so. Thank you so much, my friends, for letting me and my guests into your space. I hope this series has made you laugh, perhaps sometimes it's made you cry, but most importantly, made you think of little ways that you can be the best version of you. I'll be back in a while with season two. Meanwhile, be kind to each other. And remember, respect, connect, and you will thrive. I'm Lynn Scanella, and this has been Fruitful Conversations. <laughs>